Hey, Sean here. This is a bit of a different intro than Helen and I would normally have with the cool rock music and what you guys are used to. And that's because Secret Habit is going into a new season, a new era. For some of you that don't know, uh, I have joined forces with Sathya Sam and his company Deep Clean. So my coaching is now looking a little bit different. The Secret Habit podcast will continue, which is exciting. But the way I coach, the services that I used to offer are now changing, and that's going to be shared a little bit more as the weeks go on, as I get back into podcasting and whatnot. But what I was excited to do today is just let you know that Han and I are in the Czech Republic with our daughter Violet. We have now moved here. We are working on getting settled and all the stuff that comes with that, but we're just feeling so grateful, so blessed. I'll share more about that journey and where we're at along the way as well. There's some really cool updates, some really cool God things that he's doing. And really what I wanted to do here is I actually wanted to share a talk that I did back in late April before we moved from Halifax to Czech Republic at a church called Rock Church in Lower Sackville near Halifax. And I talked about the four misunderstandings about porn addiction in the church. I also talked about understanding the brain. I looked at statistics that we see in the church. And then I also handled two of the most common objections that I get when I'm covering these misunderstandings. And I just thought that'd be really powerful content to share with the Secret Habit audience. And why I wanted to share that with you is because it really dives into some of the things that I care about. And when I joined forces with Sathya Sam and Deep Clean, the, the program that he offers and how I get to coach alongside really handle some of these misunderstandings that guys have just been women as well have been so hurt by trying to find help in the church and we have such a deep passion for giving them a place to find healing not just good information not just good content but good application good community good coaching and i'm really passionate about that so i'm like i said i'm going to share more along the way i want to make sure that i just stop talking in a second here so you can get into the content and learn from what i'm sharing i just thought it was one of my the best talks i've done um, personally and it's just really exciting to share with you. But what I do want to say is that if you want to learn more as a man, if you're looking to get off the fence and do something about your recovery, I really believe what I'm now offering with Deep Clean is better than what I ever did before. It's really a full system. Deep Clean offers what I call the trifecta of recovery with great content, great community, great coaching. And it's a really sweet system that is built for sexual integrity. So if you want to learn more about Deep Clean and see if you would be a good fit for that program and, and either continue coaching with me or get into coaching with me, there's a link in the description, secrethabit.ca slash call. You can hop on a call, a strategy call with someone on our team to learn more about Deep Clean. It is an amazing program, and there's a reason why I decided to join forces with Deep Clean and Sathya and what he's doing. So just a plug-in for that if you want some next steps. There's also the free community from Secret Habit that continues on. That is secrethabit.ca slash community. So if you want some resources, that's there. If you want to actually get yourself started on coaching, which obviously, oh, if you can get started on coaching, you're going to be able to begin to actually move towards freedom, not just good information, but application and the coach and the community book a call. I'd really encourage you to do that. But here I am recording this from the Czech Republic. It's really cool to be back on the podcast. And I just hope that this talk blesses you regardless if you're a man, a woman, uh, a dad, a mother, a parent, uh, a son, a daughter, a cousin, doesn't matter who you are. I really believe that if you care about the church, if you're a pastor, a leader, a ministry, um, lay leader, listen to this, please, and take it to heart. 
I really pray that it blesses you and challenges you. So without further ado, here are the four misunderstandings that the church often has and gets wrong when it comes to pornography addiction. So God bless. Enjoy the talk. Pornography for me at 10 years old was a place where I found safety. Like my parents were emotionally distant and it felt safe to go there. It felt like it was a place where I could be in control. It felt like a place where my voids were, what I thought as a child were soothed, but really they were numb. And growing up, that led to me being addicted to pornography by 13 years old, going into getting into sex addiction, struggled with erectile dysfunction at 19 years old. So I'm just giving you guys a kind of a picture that I went through a lot of that stuff at a young age, not knowing what I was in. I wasn't a Christian at the time. The world tells you that's what you're supposed to do if you really want to be happy. So you just get into this huge knot, this huge mess, this pit, like I said. And the challenging part about that is I got really good at lying. I got really good at hiding. I got really good at not looking at the real problem. So when I met my wife, I didn't tell her the truth about my addiction. I told her that I was going to a recovery group, but the problem was I was only going there because they had a free dinner. So I wasn't actually going for recovery. <laughs> so when I told her that I was going to this recovery group for pornography addiction, she thought I was this knight in shining armor, or this awesome guy, and getting healed. And then two and a half months into marriage, I relapsed for the first time as a married man. And that was a really pivotal moment in my life. I don't have time to go into that story today, but that was really where I knew I couldn't live another day of my life without telling my wife, Helena, what had happened. So I broke the news to her, went through a lot in those next nine months of lying and hiding, just feeling so much shame and hypocrisy. And it was on my 25th birthday, 2017, August 20th. I'll never forget, that was the day that I quit pornography masturbation for good. So it's been over five and a half years now, and that's just a big thing. Yeah, praise God. It's not, it's not me. And that's what I want to talk about today is there's an element where there's a partnership with God when we look at healing, but there's also an element where we need to surrender to Him. And that's really hard when so often we want a miracle. And sometimes that's actually the wrong perspective. And that's one thing I want to talk about today. But really what happened after quitting pornography, it was like three months after quitting, and because I had done some of the deeper work looking at my thought processing, my belief system, I actually started experiencing life differently. I wasn't free by any means, but my wife and I started laughing, and I could go to the grocery store and look at the girl at the till and smile and not feel like a pervert or a hypocrite. And it was incredible that my life started changing so quickly. And it was about a couple months after that that I really felt like the Lord was calling me to start sharing my story offering hope to other people. And that has snowballed now into, you know, I've co coached well, almost 100 guys all around the world, helping guys get free from pornography and sexual addiction. And that's crazy. I even just say that out loud right now, and I'm just mind blown that God would do that. And I've made it a mission of my life to find out how to break down the stigmas and the lies that we often hear about addiction and recovery, the shame that gets built up. And how do I help guys get past that in a way that's actually helpful? So I want to talk about not sobriety, but freedom. And Jesus is all about freedom. So today's not going to be a theology lesson or a sermon. You know, I, I'm not going to get deep into some certain things that I obviously would love to in 30 minutes. But I want to give you guys this really important talk. First, where I want to start is understanding what I call the powerhouse behind addiction. And that is what we call the limbic and the primitive brain. And we're going to get into like neurobiology conversation here which I'm not a neuroscientist, so I'm just reading off of uh, some other smart people. But this is really the flesh. When we read about the flesh in scripture, 
It's actually the primitive part of our brain that is animal-like. And what it really is, is it's this part of our brain that doesn't really give a rip about morality, doesn't really care about anything other than pleasure and survival. You can imagine why that part of our brain would get so addicted so easily, because it only cares about two things that align with addiction. So that is so important. This part of our brain stores feelings and memories. So if you think about addiction, what is addiction? It's a feeling, it's a, it's a memory of something that happened before that numbed my pain. Our brain gets really addicted really easily. It's a computer system. It's really important to know that. And that's where we get that fight flight response. So we all know we all have a fight response or a flight response that we really fall into without even knowing how we got there. And it's very controlling of our life and we don't understand it. So quick overview of how this all happens. There's a lot of different elements, but simply put, uh, dopamine is really at the heart of addiction. We've got all heard of dopamine. A lot of people don't quite understand the gravity of like, how does it work? Quick little insight. Dopamine is a, is a chemical that gets released in the brain when there's a reward. But people think that that reward happens when you actually like, watch porn or eat the chocolate cake. But what dopamine is, is all about, is it's all about anticipation. And when we realize that, we realize that so much of our addiction is about our anticipation of things happening. And that's why when we actually finally do it, it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't actually help. It's the anticipation. And when we continually anticipate pleasure or release or relief, we train our brain to enjoy that, to want more of that. And then we repeat it, it becomes a habit, and then that begins to form our identity, that begins to form what we agree with every single time. You can imagine this is how addiction forms. It's so incredible. And we see it from a psychological standpoint, how God made the brain. He made it, as I've said, I've heard it said by a guy named Ted Roberts out of Portland, Oregon. God made our brains to get addicted. The problem is, is he made us to get addicted to him. Amen. We just often don't. Biggest thing here is we get addicted way earlier than we often think. A lot of times we think as adults, we're like, we're struggling with this problem, pornography or alcohol, but what it really is, is it's the formative years of our life. Before 25 for sure, but usually between like eight and 15 are like some of the most formative years of our life. And addiction is really for children. And we just unfortunately live like children in our adult years. And there's actually a type of approach I work with guys called inner child healing. We actually look at healing the boy within, bringing Jesus into healing that boy that never actually got nurtured and loved and cared for the way that only Jesus could love, nurture, and care for. And here is why this happens, and I kind of shared a little bit, but I'm just going off my notes to make sure I hit every point. Um, pleasure is experienced through addiction, like pornography, at a low cost. Like, just think about that for a moment. That gets very addictive. Low-cost pleasure. It's fast and it's easy. No wonder it's addictive. Um, our brain remembers the pleasure and it wants and craves more of it. Like Jesse will say, that guy in the shower can't go five minutes without probably masturbating. It's because there's this craving. A shower would be an association for him and the shower would actually trigger something in his brain to remember the pleasure that happened last time. It numbs emotional pain. Nobody wants to deal with their crap. Let's just be honest. Like That's the easiest thing to run away from is our emotional pain and we do it through yeah, we want to say pornography and drugs and everything, but what about Netflix? What about Instagram? What about Facebook? What about the gym? They're all outlets. They can, they can be used for good, but they can certainly be used for bad. And here's one of the biggest things, is we are in that 
limbic primitive part of our brain, it's unable to think past pleasure and survival. So when we try and think about addiction from a place of morality, we need to spiritually, but when we look at the very core of addiction being a psychological problem from the brain, which controls so much of our body, we need to realize that there's a part of the healing that we're missing. So let's look at some stats. Stats are really showing us that addiction in general, pornography addiction especially, is running rampant in the church. And the common ways of healing just simply aren't working. Like statistics are showing that it's not working. And let me tell you a few. So it says, um, I got some of this from Barna Study. There's a couple of other places I got these from. But 68% of adult men watch pornography regularly, married or single. 70%, 76% of young adults watch pornography regularly. 33% of women under 25 watch pornography on a monthly basis. 57% of pastors say this is the biggest issue in their church. And here's the big kicker, everyone. Only 7% of churches have a pornography addiction-focused program or support system. So those are some staggering stats without much help. And, and that's why I'm so passionate to talk about this stuff. So I want to use this information of the brain and the addictive nature of our brain, some of these stats, and I want to talk about four misunderstandings that I often hear when it comes to addiction, pornography addiction especially, and I just want to handle like two common objections as well. I felt like God really put this on my heart on Thursday. I think it's going to be important that I share this from a place of, I want to challenge you guys to think differently. I'm not challenging your theology. I'm challenging the messages you've heard for a long time that often bring more shame than help. Misunderstanding number one is that you're addicted because you love sin more than Jesus. And here's the thing, pornography is sin. I was talking to Superman over there. <laughs> we have idols in our life, that's sinful. We can't deny that. But here's the thing, I haven't met Many Christians that enjoy pornography. So they don't enjoy pornography, what are they enjoying? They enjoy the numbing it offers. They enjoy the pleasure that it offers without rejection. They enjoy the comfort and familiarity. They enjoy the way it protects them when life doesn't go the way they want it to go. It's important to know that. Because like, what happens is when we talk about it from just, just it's just sin, then it's very often shaming, it doesn't get to the root problem. If we start talking about the fact that our problem is actually we love the comfort it offers, the way it protects us, the way it's familiar, we actually then allow Jesus to enter into those places. We actually allow Jesus to comfort us. We allow Jesus to protect us. And when we get below the surface, we actually realize that it's not the sin that we love per se, it's the things that we find in the sin, which of course we can, you know, go further and talk about that another time, but it's really important to recognize that the message of just saying, you know, you love sin more than Jesus, I'm just finding it so unhelpful for guys that I work with, because below the surface, when we pinpoint what they're actually loving, it opens the door for Jesus. And that's so important. And I was just thinking the other day, like, this statement should be this, Jesus must become the one who soothes your pain, or else you will find addictive behaviors to numb your pain. Just sit on that for a moment. We need Jesus to soothe our pain. We go to things like pornography because we feel pain. We love the numbing experience that we have when we watch porn. And when we really shift this idea, I really believe people will start experiencing Jesus more, which is the beginning of freedom. 
Misunderstanding number two, if we were really a committed Christian, then you wouldn't be struggling with porn. If you were really just a committed Christian, then you wouldn't struggle with those things. First off, I think that idea of a committed Christian is really interesting. I think often it's portrayed as this person who's very obedient to the scriptures and doesn't struggle with these quote-unquote big sins of the flesh. And the problem I find with that definition is it makes guys who are struggling with addiction feel as if God's love and salvation is based off of works. There's probably some truth we can find in that. Like, yeah, like we need to be committed, but what does that even mean? Because when people are stuck in addiction, they don't even believe they're loved by the Father. So to tell them that they just need to become more committed doesn't make any sense. So here's one of the big kickers. Porn is known as an intimacy disorder. It literally robs people from the ability to know how to connect emotionally, even and especially with Jesus. Like, think about that for a second. That's a pretty big deal. Uh, so instead of focusing on someone becoming what we would call a committed Christian, we would be much better off helping them understand and experience the love of God, the security we find in Christ. And we see in, in Scripture, it's the love that draws us to repentance, right? We see that. It's so important that we have that because people that are struggling with porn, like I said, just don't often feel loved. And this is where we need to understand like, the real heart of the gospel. And I've been sharing this a lot recently, and I'll share it with you in a really tidbit form. Um, one of the resources I'll share with you later is our podcast, and this is the one coming out on Tuesday. But this rock, I learned this like six months ago. There's a differentiation, I hope I said that right, between relationship with God and fellowship with God. Our relationship with God is just like our relationship with our mom and dad. It's never broken. My mom could die tomorrow. She's always my mom. The minute we profess Jesus as Lord and repent of our sins, he, the, the Father becomes our, our Heavenly Father. We become beloved sons. And the reason why that's so important is because God is unconditionally loving. So when he's our Father, there's always that unconditional bond, that love that can never be broken. And most people that are struck with addiction especially believe that their relationship with God is based off of what they do or don't do. And that's just totally false. We see, I think it's Hebrews 6. It says that the father disciplines the son. Discipline has to do with sin. The father disciplines the son because he sinned. But the language is so beautiful. Father and son. Here's the kicker. Our fellowship gets broken with God when we sin. Sin separates us from God. He doesn't separate from us. Sin separates us from him. But here's the best part about God. Is he doesn't require us. To fix our problems. He requires us to repent and come back into fellowship with him. He loves everybody equally, but he blesses those who are in fellowship with him. And how can someone who's addicted to pornography be in fellowship with the Lord when they think everything's based off of works? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work that way. And this is really what I'm finding with my clients, helping them build this foundation that everything else is built off of. How can someone have an identity of a beloved son if they believe that their love from God is based off of if they watch porn or not? Obviously, we want to be free from that stuff, but we need to realize that Jesus died for all of that so we wouldn't have to feel unloved in those things. And it's the love that draws us to make huge changes. So I just absolutely love that one. It's been an incredible mindset shift for me, even in my own life, relationship and fellowship. God loves us all unconditionally the minute we profess Jesus as Lord, but our fellowship 
is what we need to really hone in on and grow in. Misunderstanding number three, lust is the reason why porn addiction is a problem. Mic drop. Here's a great book. I'm gonna talk a little bit about this book. It's called Unwanted it's by a guy named Jay Stringer. It's all about how sexual brokenness reveals our way to healing. He talks about lust cannot be dealt with unless we actually expose the fuel behind lust, which is anger. And very rarely do we talk about anger being associated with lust. He says that lust is like the battery of a car, but anger is the fuel. Lust gets the car started, but anger moves it ahead. So when we focus on only lust as the problem, we're really missing the true fuel. And that's why I think the church has had sobriety for a long time, but really hindered in freedom. Because men are, Jeremiah writes, like the part of men is full of all sorts of wickedness. Anger is a really big issue that the church doesn't like to talk about. I meet with my client, but I'm not an angry person. I don't have any anger towards anybody. And then we go through a lesson on unforgiveness, and we realize there's a lot of unforgiveness. Um, so, Jay talks about it in, in chapter 8 of this book. He says that lust is a form of coveting. We all know that word really well, coveting. We, it's when we strongly want something that isn't ours so much that it begins to change the way you think about that thing or about that person in a way that is sinful, in a way that is uh, controlling or... Um, Objectifying, maybe you want to use that word. And then he talks about how unprocessed anger, because we see in scripture, anger is a neutral emotion. God got angry. There is righteous anger. It says, in your anger, do not sin. It doesn't say, don't get angry. So anger is actually a neutral emotion. It's unprocessed anger that becomes controlling and entitled. And those are two feelings that don't lead to very good things. Are they, my friends? <laughs> Entitlement and control. Um, so we need to really call out lust as an issue, but we need to call out anger as the fuel behind lust. Because at the heart of lust is a craving for something you don't have, coveting, something you don't have, and at the heart of anger is this sense that something isn't the way it should be, so I deserve something or I need to control something. If you can just grasp that for a moment. Lust is about wanting something you don't have so much that it overtakes your ability to think, and anger is all about something's off, I need to fix this. I need to control this. I deserve something because things aren't well. You know, I was meeting with a client last night. I hurt his ankle, and I'm like, how's your entitlement today? Because when we get sick, when we have ailments, it's amazing how I turn into a big whiny baby when I have a stuffy nose, and then I get all entitled. My wife's like, you're 30. <laughs> Anyone relate to that? <laughs> um, so here's one of the biggest things, guys. We need to help men, and as men, we need to pursue a life of purpose, of meaning, of connection, that helps us feel connected, content, integrous, authentic. This is how we actually stop lusting, is by actually finding a sense of purpose and contentment in our own lives, where we don't go and look at other people and think we need what they have. Just imagine that, if we all live lives of purpose, we actually listen to the Lord and understand what he wanted for our lives. You see Romans 12, you know, renewing our mind leads to the ability to discern God's will. That is substantial. It's really hard to renew the mind when we feel shame, when we don't think he loves us, when we are stuck in addiction. And we really need men to realize that unresolved anger needs a place to be resolved. 
We need places of safety. Anger comes often when we feel disappointed, when we feel failure, when we have heartache about things that, as men, maybe we're told by culture we're not really supposed to worry about, or pull up your bootstraps and fix it, but we really need men to realize that there are safe places to talk about things that are hurting them and grieving them, so that they can then move into places of purpose and meaning and community and connection, because that's what's gonna help them run towards what actually fills their life rather than what numbs their life. And then misunderstanding number four is you just need some good accountability and some real self-control. Sure, we've all heard that one before, and I'm not knocking it, I just wanna explain it. On the surface, this advice does seem like it's pretty good. I'm not saying it's wrong advice, I'm just saying that it's only hitting on part of the problem. So, if this was working, even just going into what I said, if these kind of like teachings were working, we would have a better harvest. That's why I wanna challenge these things, because the harvest isn't, really look in the way that I think Christ would want it to look. Um, so firstly, um, typically like recovery-based accountability, church accountability over the years has been like much more focused on the issue like of, of behavior. It's much more focused on surveillance or policing, you know, check in on me on Friday night because I'm gonna have a hard night rather than actually discipling one another, actually growing, actually having purpose as friends. So many times it's like, yo, I know, you know, Greg and I are just good friends because we go to the same recovery group. Oh, cool, like, what do you guys do together? Oh, we just talk about porn. <laughs> it's like, who wants to have a relationship like that? That is terrible. And, and again, Jay in this book talks about um, recovery fatigue. He talks about topical fatigue. If you guys are just talking about porn all the time, like, what are you actually doing, right? It's about purpose and meaning. When I talk, like, Timothy and I are really good friends. We talk about marriage and growing with Christ and our, our pitfalls and how we can help each other in those, not just like, oh man, you relapse, let me pray for you. We disciple one another, and that's so valuable. Um, and uh, I had one other note, and I think I deleted it. Anyways, um, where did it go? Yeah, so true accountability should be much more focused on core needs, identity. That's the kind of things that really do matter. Found my place. One of the big kickers with self-control that often gets misunderstood, and I don't have time to dig into like how this all works, but it really does tie back to that fellowship element I talked about. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. There's nothing in scripture that tells us we can just muster it up on our own. Like that it's it's a fruit of the spirit. It's really important to recognize that. And if we aren't able to have self-control, it's a good indicator that we're not actually living in the spirit. Let that hit you for a moment. That's pretty exposing, right? Right? That's really exposing. A lot of times as men, we think we're doing a pretty good job. But what does that even mean? What's the job? Our only job is to surrender our lives to Christ and live fully in the Spirit. Me included, of course. I fail at that all the time. But this is really what fellowship's all about, is when we're in fellowship with the Father, we experience the Holy Spirit. We experience the abundance and the blessing that can only come. Like I always talk about, like, there are people in Africa living in grass huts that are happier than I am. What's up with that? It's incredible. Well, like, I have way more than they do, but, but not really when I live out of the Spirit. When I live out of fellowship with God, I have way less than they do. So I just think about that stuff all the time. 
So those are the four misunderstandings I wanted to talk about. Like I was saying, I wanted to challenge some mindsets today. And there are two common objections which maybe are stirring in your minds right now. Maybe you guys are more gracious to me than that. But I, I told this to my wife the other day. I'm like, here's what I'm gonna talk about. She's like, oh, make sure you, you know, that this is an objection that I probably have. So you know, you wanna talk about that. I'm like, they're man, they should be able to handle this. <laughs> but I get it. This could be new information, I don't know. But objection number one, it's very common is it's, are you saying that God isn't powerful enough to just heal me? Isn't he a miracle worker? Well, yes, he is. But I don't believe and I don't see it as often of these road of Damascus moments for, for people. I think God does miracles and it's for his glory and it's beautiful. But we often see God calling us to partner with him in healing way more than just doing miracles. I really think a lot of guys want miracles because it's the easy way out. If they have a miracle, they don't have to tell anybody that they struggle with porn. That's pretty, that's pretty deep. I really believe that he wants to partner with us. Like I was even just thinking this morning, like Luke 17, Jesus heals those 10 lepers. But he doesn't just heal them, right? He says, go and show yourself to the priest and then you'll be healed. For some other people, he healed them on the spot, but he actually asked them to do something to prove their faith. So what is God calling you guys to do to prove your faith? It's a challenging question. Are you expecting him to just zap you one day and be miraculously free? I think there's a way cooler story for us as men to have where we actually humble ourselves and have total surrender. Um, I really believe God wants to develop intimacy in our lives with other men, having those true iron sharpening iron relationships and that only comes through total humility and total surrender and total vulnerability. Um, I, I think I think almost us to see how much he's already provided for us. He's provided the Holy Spirit, guys. That's a miracle. We were, just, we were just talking about He provided the Holy Spirit. Like, what a miracle. He's given us a brain that can be rewired. He's given us a mind that can be renewed. What else do you guys want? It's incredible. Uh, I believe that we're called to work out our faith with Christ, our recovery, our, our healing with Christ. We see that, you know, we're going to work out with your salvation, your sanctification, with trembling. So important that we realize that. I think God has things to teach us that can only be taught by us trusting him more and trusting him more and trusting him more. And really at the heart of all of this is constant and total surrender, which our flesh hates. Constant and total humility, which our flesh just doesn't like. And I think that's why God wants to partner with us in healing, is because it challenges our flesh and it makes us align ourselves even more with Him in the Holy Spirit. And that takes humility, which is really uncomfortable. So, really, I just want to like pose that question one more time. And maybe you guys want to think about that today is do you think a miracle would just be easier and that's why you want it? Or are you willing to partner with Christ? enter into total honesty and surrender with him. So that's objection number one. Number two is that aren't we supposed to just like pluck out our eye or cut off our hand if it causes us to stumble? It's a great question. I think, again, I'm not going to go deep into theology today and I'm not like, I don't have a degree or anything. Um, but here's the thing. I'm not against cutting things off. I want to just make that straight. I think there's seasons of life where we cut things off so we can learn what's really driving us to act out that way. However, I believe the most important step is for us to understand what is causing us to stumble. Not just the surface behavior, but what is below the surface 
causing us to stumble rather than just going and cutting off something immediately. If we only cut things off, we'll never really understand the true area of our heart and life that needs healing. And that's really where freedom happens. Um, so like pornography, masturbation, I think it's important to realize what is driving us to go there. For, for a lot of men that I work with, it's a desire for power. It's a desire for control. It's a desire for intimacy. It's a desire for someone to pursue them. It's a desire for them to just have something they experienced when they were young. Maybe they had an early sexual experience and haven't had that since, and they just remember that. And it's, it's part of their brain makeup, so it's really important. So we need to look at like, what's below the surface, what's the driver, and then we can look at what's the required surgery. Because really, like, if we're only cutting off things like our phone or apps, or like, I know guys are cutting off going to the beach. It's like, you live in Nova Scotia, guys. If you don't go to the beach because you're afraid of temptation, like, come on, like, that's not freedom. That's, that's insanity. Like, we live on the ocean playground of Canada, and I have clients that literally don't go to the beach. That sucks. Like, that's not what Jesus has for us. I really, I really can't accept that. Um, so what I believe is what Jesus is saying is, you better be willing to let go of the things you have held onto for a long time. And with that, I think he's more so calling us to let go of the things of the heart, which is where the fuel to sin comes from. So this is the question. Are you willing to get to the root of the issue causing you to stumble? Or does it feel more heroic to just cut it off on the surface? Like that lawnmower, you cut all the weeds, but you realize you just grow back a week later. Are you willing to get down on your hands and knees and pull out the weeds? Or are you just going to keep on wasting your time cutting the weeds from the surface? So important, guys. So this is what was on my heart today. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. I really hope the four misunderstandings in the church blessed you as a way to help you and challenge you and lead you to maybe questioning some of the things you've been taught or finding a new way to, to do recovery. Maybe that's through deep clean. And, and if that is, if you want to learn more, you can book a call at secrethabit.ca slash call. Link will be in the description below. If you want to get some free help for now, some free resources, you can join the Secret Habit community. Also the link below, secrethabit.ca slash community. I really would love for you to share this episode with somebody, maybe a leader or a pastor or someone that you care about in the church, not simply because they're struggling with porn, but because they help other people. Maybe they lead other people through pastoral or ministry, maybe they're missionaries, whatever it is. Please share this with some people. It's a really important talk that needs to be heard by more people. I remember the receptivity from the crowd at Rock Church, and it really touched my heart. There was men of all ages, and I was a bit unsure how the older crowd would re respond to my boldness, and it was so beautiful. So I pray that your response would also be very beautiful and you would share this with some people. So God bless. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take care.